Welcome to the Legend of the Death Race podcast. I'm your host, Tony Matisse, and every week we share legends from past death racers on the courage, power, and wisdom it takes to conquer life's obstacles. All of us death racers aspire to inspire you to create a life past your limits. Today's legend follows the story of death racer Anthony Capone, who competed in five death races. Anthony started competing in death races in 2008, and he's been around since the early days. So he's got a lot of insight, and we're going to dive into his story. Anthony, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm super stoked to have you. I'm super stoked to have your uh, have your legend on here and hear it. So let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What's your occupation? Yeah, so originally from Boston, Massachusetts, um, currently living in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, and uh, our last 20 years, I've just opened up bars and restaurants and uh, not a great business to be in today. Oh, no, <laughs> but, it's definitely uh, tough right now. <laughs> lots of fun, though, in my uh, 30s and 40s, for sure. Very cool. Very cool. Um I wonder if I've been to one when I've visited up there. <laughs> so uh, what is it that your athletic background was growing up? You know what? I was a real burner, man. I, I actually didn't do any ath- I didn't do any uh, athletics in school. I mean, I no. literally no, no, I was I was kind of like the hippie who went to Grateful Dead shows and like smoked Marlboro cigarettes and uh, <laughs> mostly did just shit that was bad for me. Uh, I didn't, I started, I took a job guiding with no experience and, um, I found a summer job and it was like, you want to, you know, take kids out and camp with them and go on hiking trips and whatnot. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Never did it before. And then that changed my entire like life. So I went from being like, just not caring about, you know, uh, my health to like, oh my God, I have to be in top like form because not only am I like hiking with and responsible for kids, but I'm also like humping hundreds of pounds of like weight over like crazy terrain. So that changed my paradigm really quick. That's awesome. That sounds like a interesting story in itself. I mean, how did you, how did you find uh, this guiding That was job? great. So it was great. I was I was living in Maine, and uh, my father got sick. So uh, he, my my mom asked me to come back down to to Jersey and uh, uh, to be closer just in case. And I was like, Yeah, I'll do that. And uh, I found this job at Project Use. That's Project U S E. It's just like nonprofit that's in Jersey, and like they just work with um, they work with at youth risk. Uh, I mean, youth at risk and uh, they, you know, kids from Newark and Camden and they would just take them to this like beautiful, pristine wilderness area in New Jersey, which I know doesn't make sense. But New Jersey has these beautiful pockets of like, you know, wilderness. Yeah. And uh, we literally would take kids out and uh, we just I started a program that that would take uh, adjudicated youth. So kids in jail on like. 40-day wilderness expeditions and those expeditions took place like in maine new hampshire vermont 
uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, like all along the Eastern seaboard. And it was such a cool thing, but, uh, I literally applied, this was back in the day, like when there were just mom and pop, like guiding companies mm -hmm, and nonprofits. Mm -hmm. Now it's like the world is filled with like, you know, eco tourism, but back, back in the early nineties, it was just, it was kind of a niche market. So. Wow, that's really cool. And so you went into this with like no experience. So how how did you how did you learn and how did you develop like the knowledge you needed to be able to guide these kids and that's give them a, give give them give them a safe experience? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually had amazing mentors. Like I know that sounds kind of crazy. Like I just it, it's like you answer a want ad and then like the next thing you know is you're responsible for like eight kids. Uh, in, you know, the back country, uh, I, great mentors, like just great leaders, uh, of the program before me. And, um, yeah, I was really fortunate. And once I, once I started doing that, it was, I, I kind of solved that question of what I wanted to do. Do you know what That's I mean? Awesome. Like, yeah. It was really important to me. That's very um, cool. And so, so that, I guess, you know, is what led you to starting to do more adventures and, and everything. So, so that leads to, that leads to something called the 50 mile hike. So in the year 2000, so this is, you know, pre tough mutter, pre Spartan races. Um, yeah. A whole decade before almost a, a teacher said to me, one of my, one of the, the chaperones, one of the teachers he said to me, um, hey, Anthony, how, how many miles do you think you can hike in a day? And I was like, well, with a pack or no pack? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, you know, let's say no pack. And I was like, no, I could probably do 50 in a day. Easy. And he's like, he's like, uh, you want to try? And I was like, yeah, let's try. So we ended up starting something called the 50 mile hike. We, we literally started it on uh, Easter, a uh, Good Friday of the year 2000, and it happened to be a nor'easter. And we set out to try to hike for uh, 50 miles in one day. And we came up like six miles short. And the reason okay. we came up six miles short was because, I mean, it was just torrential, like raining, it was so cold, and we were just exhausted. And we were kind of ill-prepared. We thought we could do it in sneakers. <laughs> so like you know we thought like you know really light anyway the best thing is that we didn't finish it because the next year we went at it and uh a couple more people came right so this year we just celebrated our 20th year of doing that hike oh and, wow that's so cool yeah and we have like 150 people join us don't tell the appalachian uh trail association they don't know about it we just don't think like <laughs> on the dl very cool very cool yeah. that is uh incredible and so let's kind of see how this all brought you to doing death races so when you did your first death race in 2008 how old were you so i must have been what 30 38 okay yeah something like that and then how did you discover this thing? How did you discover uh, this death race? So I have to go back. I have to go back. So really quickly, have you ever heard of something called the tough guy race? Yeah, the tough guy, the one over in the UK. In England. Yes. 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 So, Mr. Mouse. Mr. Mouse. All right. Very good. So I did the tough guy race in 2000 and 
2003, 2004, and 2000. And, no, 2004, 2005, and 2006. All right. So I went and I did that race three years in a row. I did it because my boss, who I worked for, read an article in Men's Health magazine, and it read the the headline read "Calling All Nut Jobs." <laughs> and my and my boss, uh, Phil, sent me the article, and he's like, "This is perfect for you." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yeah." I'm like, "I'm gonna register," and we registered. Me and my buddy Reed registered, and we went over, and we started doing like, but of course, like flying to London, like taking the train to Wolverhampton, doing the race, hotels, it got really expensive. So we were yeah. just like, man, we gotta, we gotta figure something else out. And then Reed came across an article uh, about the death race. And that was like, I think the death race was like two years old at that point. And it was, he was like, we gotta do this. And that's, then we, 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 we signed up, we're like, we got to check this out. And that's what brought us to the death races. You know, we started with Mr. Mouse, the original, in my mind, his, he was really the original. Yeah. I mean, he kind of started, he's like the, you know, the, the godfather of yeah. obstacle racing, if you will. Yeah. Have you ever talked to anybody who's done a race with him? Uh, a couple people. Uh, yeah. I've talked to like, you know, James Appleton and I've talked to, um, you know, Scott Keneally who went out there okay. and did the rise of the Sufferfest documentary and, That's great. you know, super, super cool. So I just want to say one funny thing you get yeah. to, you get to Mr. Mouse's farm and he's like, it's like run down, super cool. You get there and there's like a 30 by 30, like mural of Jesus Christ, like off, <laughs> off the cross, like, and he's in like Mary's, he's like in his mother's like arms and he's like, whatever. He's like in his, you know, he's fallen over. Like she has him in his arms and this, and the mural says, Jesus Christ, the original tough guy. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah, it. it was hysterical, man. That's incredible. It's, That's it's, incredible. It's, it's, you can't make that stuff up. It's so No, funny. you can't. That's amazing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, he arguably is the guy who kind of set up all these amazing events, you know, because he gave a lot of these people these ideas to start doing things like this. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's a big thanks to him. So cool. So you found the death race. And then, you know, what was your your why for wanting to do this one, like this death race? Yeah. So at that point, I think I was really uh, because I owned bars and, and restaurants at that point, I had to do the opposite of falling into um, a normal kind of bar owner lifestyle, which is, you know, staying up late, you know, dabbling in the booze, uh, mm -hmm. you, you know, smoke at that time you could actually smoke in bars yeah so, and i know that i know that lifestyle pretty well when i was uh in my early 20s i was uh very heavily into working in the bars and bouncing and yeah. you know being a bar back and doing all that and it's, it's these late nights it's uh yeah. you know you see the owners that's what they're doing they're out there drinking and trying to socialize and meet their guests and yeah it's a, it's a rough lifestyle for sure yeah, so I wanted to do the opposite of doing the unhealthy, and I was just mm -hmm. like, you know, I and I also once I got a flavor, once I realized that I was an athlete, and uh, I was I actually placed really high in in uh, you know the races, uh, the tough guy race. I I just started finishing like 
in like the top 10, you know, men categories. And I was just like, maybe I'm good at this. And then I'm, yeah. let me see how far I could take it. And um, I'm definitely not the biggest guy and I'm definitely not the strongest, but I've got like that stupid, you know, I can't shut it off. Yeah. I'll just keep going. So, uh, yeah. So I just wanted to see how far I could take it. And the death race looked like it was, uh, sounded like it was going to take, take us to the next level of endurance. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so preparing for it back in, you know, 2008. So I think, you know, the first couple of years, it was like the death division. And then it, at this point, I guess it was the death race. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, how did you train for a death race that is in its infancy and, and what did you guys do? It's a good question. So because I don't know if you, you know, I guess they did this. I don't know what they do now, but back in the day, like they didn't tell you what you needed. Like, you know how like you would get an email of like, Oh, the gear list. Yeah. Gear list and stuff. So we kind of didn't, we just kind of kept doing what we were doing, which was like, you know, running and, uh, lifting calisthenics things like that i mean not till not till like this 2010 did we start to kind of shape our training around what we kind of what our experiences was uh were so um i'll give you an example one year we started training in a quarry right okay so we literally we outfitted the quarry as events, right? So we did like, we like carried buckets of sand. We like, we're like, we were literally digging like huge pits. We were, you know, we were, I, we like set up ropes to like, you know, climb a cliff. Like we, we were just, we were doing puzzles. We were doing laps, so we just wouldn't, you know, we we would do like five or six laps. This would last all day. Like we would do an all day training, but we like specifically started to do things like we like we would chop wood. We would find wood. We start chopping it. Like we would go to friends' houses and start. We'd go to friends' houses and like, hey, you want us to chop your wood? So like <laughs> it was just, you know, the first one we we kind of just didn't know and then we started to shape our our uh yeah our training from those and uh and started having fun with it yeah and so then so your your training evolved over time and you guys started kind of tailoring it more towards the kind of weird crazy tasks that you started getting exposed to from doing the events and so yeah i guess what i'm really curious about but first i want to ask is did you have any fears going into that first death race or any of them for that matter yeah the first the first oh after reading that article uh there was an article about the death race and i was like whoa this is this is next level stuff and um you know i just i just wanted to be able to finish you know i'm one of those guys who just wants to finish which is it took me five it took me five chances to finish yeah like i you know, I think that was my biggest fear is I just wanted to, I wanted to be able to finish. And when I couldn't, I was like, damn, that sucks. I'll do it next year. And then of course I didn't finish the year that year. And then that's what kept me going back was like just failure. I just, yeah, I just need to get it. Let me just tell you, Tony, one more thing real quick about training. One of the funniest training things I ever did was, I mean, I live in Brooklyn. So 
for a while, I would just carry cinder blocks over the Brooklyn Bridge from one end to the other. And people, people thought like I, I finally got caught, stopped by the cops, and they were just like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm training for a race." They're like, "You can't." They're like, "You can't carry cinder." Blocks. I'm like, "Why not?" They're yeah, like, you can't. It's just like, right. isn't that isn't that the most bizarre thing? Like for like a cop to tell you you can't do something yeah. like that. Like why can't I? Like I'm carrying a cinder block. Who gives you a could, shit? You could throw them over the side. Like people could throw their bikes over, their bags over. I'm like I'm not gonna like, throw. I'm just carrying. I'm just carrying a block. Like what? Yeah, I had I, I I literally had one cinder block on my shoulder and I had a five gallon bucket of water in my hand, like my left. <laughs> so that was one of those you know start learning what you're you know training for what you you know to expect yeah that's it's so funny because i have a, a similar story i was living in the suburbs of chicago you know and i i started carrying logs you know i would just carry logs around i found a tree somewhere like you know like a branch that's probably this big so i threw it on my shoulders and i was running down the street yep all of a yep. sudden the police pull up next to me and they're like what are you doing i'm like training for a race they're like you can't do that I'm like what do you mean i can't do that i can carry it like what <laughs> like Yep. I mean, you know, thankfully I didn't get, you know, in trouble or anything because I it definitely was a little mouthy back then. But, uh, yep. you know, it's like, yep. what do you mean I can't do this? I'm just training. I'm not doing anything wrong. Well, I really want to hear about these experiences because, you know, we haven't really talked about races before 2010 yet. So, you know, what was a 2008 death race like back then? You know, paint me a picture. So, Okay. I mean, that was the year of the bicycle. Right? Have you ever heard of the year of the bicycle? Oh, is that? Uh, was that the year? That wasn't the year where the um, with the bike chain and you guys had to like carry the bike around. Was that it? Yeah, that was the oh, year. Oh man. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That was the year where you know the night before the race started, we all get to uh, we all get to uh, the summit of um, what the hell is the name of that? Shrek's yeah. cabin. Yeah, exactly. So we're up there. There's a bunch of Norwich. This is going to sound weird, but there was a bunch of Norwich kids there. Like, you know, I guess at that point, Joe didn't have enough people to play. There wasn't enough enrollment, but like somehow him and Andy like went to Norwich and like military school and found kids to like participate. (laughs) It was just really weird. I was like, what are all these Norwich kids doing here? Anyway, uh, so uh, we get to the mountain. The race hasn't officially started, but we have to get our bike up there. Got to break the lo- break break the chain. We got to break the parts, uh, break break the bike down into tires, uh, frame, and a chain. And then we got weighed in in the cabin. And then from that moment, uh, from that moment on, we had to carry uh, a percentage of our body weight in rocks. So uh, the the chain went into a a ziploc bag with your race number the tires got taped together and then the bike frame you had to carry um the bike chain would eventually be tossed in the pond and and you would have to go find it you would have to go dive in and like scurry for the you know the bottom of the pond and like hopefully come up with it yeah i remember seeing that in the um in the one video that was uh That was put out there. It was like yeah. the New York Times or whatever. And... Yeah. So that was uh, that was early. I mean, those were the early days and like, you know, ripping out stumps so that Joe could have a nice pristine like countryside villa. Uh, he basically <laughs> like 
<laughs> hey, first thing I did on that race, like at, you know, first thing is like, he lined us all up like we were gonna run like a race, and then like, he's like, okay, we're, Andy was like, we're running right over there. You're gonna start like, you know, you gotta get your stump, and we all like run like ten feet, to, like, start digging. <laughs> so like, it was kind of anticlimactic. Uh, that was, and then, um, I mean, that, that, that one was great, but it wasn't as creative as, um, it wasn't as creative as most have, you know, started, they started to get really creative and, um, I'm going to take, can I tell you the hardest thing I ever did? No, I was going to, I want to get into that. Let's, let's hear what was like some of the harder things that you had to do at any of these death races. So anytime Anytime you had to walk the river, uh, I always found that super difficult, like just because of the slippery rocks. And yeah. Things. Like, and if you're going down river, it's easier if you're going up river, but if you're going down river, I always found it super hard because I, don't know, I just never had the right footwear or my shit was just always sliding and you're tired and whatever. But the hardest, the hardest thing, uh, that almost broke me. I the thing that just really was the bridge carrying. Did you ever hear about the bridge that we had to fucking carry? Is that the one that like so that was the the I beam that went across for a while and then eventually ended up in the water? No. Or no, no. Okay, something else. So <sighs> Andy and Joe have they made these mountain bike bridges. Okay. Right? Uh and they were about six maybe about 600 pounds like because they were huge bridges mm -hmm. and we were broken into uh teams of eight and every team was seven guys and, and one female um and if if there weren't enough because uh, at that point i don't think there were uh that many female um uh, racers if you didn't then you had to go with seven uh, seven guys. So you had these bridges and then you had your, your bucket and your ax and your gear and all of it had to be carried. And it literally had to be carried up and over a mountain, uh, his mountain, Joe's mountain. <laughs> it happened to be a really hot summer night in Vermont. And, um, we, this bridge was, I mean, the bridge was, is pretty close to six feet wide and i think it might have been 10 feet long right that's big that's big I, I, and, and tony i don't even know like I, I can't even tell you just think about the width and then travel and then trying to travel on a on a path or a trail yeah you understand what i'm saying so not only was it heavy but it was just so cumbersome and this went from this went on from uh, eight o'clock at night to four o'clock in the morning. Oh my right? god! Oh, so wow! My arms were so spent. And then when right, you know, when we finally drop the bridge, wherever we drop it, I mean, I remember being like, I can't believe this is going to knock me out. Like, I can't. I mean, like, I had never been so tired. And I was so pissed because I was just like, I had like done so much cardio and like, I, you know, I, I 
you can't train for one thing. That's the beauty of that race, right? Yeah. The beauty yeah. of the race is you just can't train one way. So I just didn't expect it. My arms were spent. You know what I'm talking about. When you have, like, you can't even make a grip. You can't grip anymore because your arms are just spent. So we dropped the bridge, and um, they make us take a, a, a full bucket of rocks back down to Amy Farm. And I couldn't, like, I could only go, like, five feet, drop the bucket, rest, go another five feet. Like, it was just, it broke me. It was miserable. I continued to race for the next, you know, 20 hours. But that year, I did not finish again. And I was just really pissed. But that bridge, that bridge almost broke me. Oh, man. That is that is crazy. I've never heard about that task, first of all. So that's pretty interesting. And then just like trying to like the size of it, you know, it depending on what parts of the trails you're on, I mean, there's not a lot of space for you guys to navigate and then to turn with trees and everything like with a six foot by 10 foot, like it, that's really yeah, ridiculous. So, so some people are way up high on the trail, some people yeah. are way low. And it's like the weight distribution was just all fucked up and like, you know, and people were getting like, you know, and people were getting angry. Like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and pissy, like, I get. And uh, yeah, because, you know, the thing about the thing about it is most of the race you're arguing with yourself. Mm-hmm. Most of the race you're like fighting your own thing. But that team activity, like people were just like, yo, man, you're not, you know, <laughs> you're not putting your weight you're not doing enough like dude god forbid god forbid you were like hey can we break like you didn't want to be the one who was like yeah can we stop (laughs) like right 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 but yeah that bridge was uh that bridge was i think simply like the most um difficult thing yeah in the history of my death race uh experience that sounds pretty rough uh what would you say was like the more most interesting or um most fun thing that you did was there anything that was uh, really interesting or fun that wasn't just difficult but um you know uh i i you know it was <laughs> i i actually really liked the rock i really liked the rock circles i liked picking up rocks for six hours yeah do you remember that i don't did you, you know about that one right uh, i know about it yeah yeah i didn't have to really do that for very long but we definitely did you know some rock picking up but i think it was the year before i started doing them that it was like just hours of it yeah it was like uh that was like six hours of picking mm-hmm. up rocks. i mean i know it sounds monotonous but what i liked about it is that it was a team activity because we all had to you know, we all had to pick up the rocks at the same time, but we got really good at it and really in sync. And when you see a team, that was, uh, yeah, that was a great, that was a great experience because uh, we actually started having fun with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I dig that 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 rock that rack that rock activity was 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 cool. Yeah. Well, it's cool. It's cool when you're doing something as a team and doing it as one, and everyone's getting in sync. There's just yeah. that the camaraderie that comes with that, and then on top of that, it can be kind of meditative and yeah, and, exactly. and almost therapeutic because it's just so you know you all you're thinking about is that one thing now over and over, and it's like it becomes you know a rhythm. Yeah, yeah. Your mind's thought, able to. Yeah. And I thought, what an original, what 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 a an, an original like 
statement that I could make and, and, and just the idea that I picked up rocks for six hours. Like that's true. That's not yeah. like that's actually <laughs> true. people are like, what? No, I, I really, I picked up rocks for six hours straight. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> the things that they make us do. Um, so what were you eating? Uh, and, and I'm guessing, you know, maybe you're, your nutrition evolved over time. So what were you eating, you know, in the early days for these races? And then maybe how did your nutrition evolve over time? Well, it's funny because, you know, we didn't know what to expect that first year. So we brought, you know, a lot of light food, right? Thinking that, you know, we'll just jam a bunch of cliff bars and shit. But um, we had a support person named Samantha and uh, she went to, uh, she went to the uh, store and um, the hell Joe's store. What the hell was that? The, the, origi- the original general store. Yeah, the general store. Right. Remember that? So, like, thank goodness we brought a support person because we literally kept sending her out for like real protein and food. But once we um, once we morphed and got more experience, you know, we started bringing you know more protein items in instead of sugary like you know, uh, crap because you, you just, your body is going crazy and it's craving it. And luckily we've had, we had people supporting us almost, almost every race in some capacity. capacity. Well, I think, I think people, friends were super interested in it because, um, friends were super interested in it because we just talked it up so much, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, um, I will tell you one funny story. My friend, Samantha, who is like, this, you know, beautiful woman, she came up and uh, she supported us. And, and at one moment she's just taking pictures and she looks around and she says, Oh, this is what it must feel like for guys at a wet t-shirt contest. Cause you know, you know, like everybody, like all the guys are like fucking chiseled and fit and like, chopping wood with no axe well you know with like axes and she's just looking around like i just you know i hit the jackpot (laughs) (laughs) that's great i love it um back to the eating uh (laughs) what was uh what was your favorite thing like did you have like a favorite like go-to item yeah man i mean i mean beef jerky and um beef jerky and boiled eggs i mean honestly okay okay just those two, like I could always, it would always perk me up. You know what That's I mean? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, right away. Uh, and how did you stay awake during these races? And how long were they like in the, you know, 2008? Like I know they got longer, didn't they just get longer and longer? Yeah. So, so the first one, the first one I think started at five in the morning. And uh, I'm sure Joe or, or Andy will, will uh, you know, know for sure. But I think it started at five and it was pretty much over by six that night. So it was like maybe a 12 hour race. OK. And then and then it grew to like and then it grew to 24 hours and then it grew to, uh, you know, the year we did it uh, in the church uh, in 2000 and I think that was 2011 or 2010, the church where that was, yeah, was that the, re- the year religion was like, tw- that was 2011, yeah. I think. Yeah. So yeah. that was the first time it was like two nights. 
Okay. Okay. Um, and then in 2013, of course, like I literally, yeah, I think it was, I ended up doing like 60 hours because I ended up having to go. It took me so long. I think it was like, it ended up being a total of 60 hours because Joe took my, I, I, I didn't make the cutoff. I was 15 minutes uh, late from the swim. Remember the, uh, remember the uh, lake? Yeah. The, the, yeah. The Chittenden, the Chittenden Reservoir. We had the yeah. three mile swim there. Yeah. Right. So I come out, I think I was like 10 minutes or 12 minutes. And then Joe's like, yeah, I'm, you know, give me your, give me your, uh, give me your bib number. And I was like, what? and I literally was like, what the fuck you mean? I'm like, no. And he's like, give me your bib number. I was like, why? He's like, you missed the cutoff. I was like, I'm like, I looked at him straight up. I was like, Joe, I'm like, you're fucked up, man. I'm like, I'm coming up here. Like, I was looking for like, I was looking for like the good customer, like, you know, treatment. And he was just like, no. <laughs> so he took the bib. But that was the year of the gambler. So uh, I can, he's like, you can continue on. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to continue on. And that was the year I continued on and eventually finished, uh, eventually finished like sometime, like, I can't even remember. Like, yeah, I think I that was like, like 70 hours or something. That was like yeah, a really long one. It was like, yeah, I think it, it was, so I'm not exaggerating when I say no. six, because I, I no, think, I'm pretty sure that one was 70 because the, the one, the year before a lot of people finished around the 60 hour mark and then 2014, you know, like we all pretty much finished at 66 hours, but, but 2013, I did not make it. And I remember the people that did make it told me it was like 70 or 72 hours when they okay. finished. Then I, then I, I had 64 hours in my head and I think that's kind of where it was. Yeah, it's probably somewhere. It's probably, it's probably definitely like anywhere from 64 and up. I would definitely imagine that's where it was. Cause I think I bowed out at 57 yeah. at that one. Yeah. I think that's when I, that's, that's, I didn't want to exaggerate. Um, and none of this is being exaggerated. Like everything right. I'm telling you is absolutely 100% true. So yeah, it was, I thought it was like 64 hours, but, um, so the next day, um, he does the whole, you know, you want to try to win your bid back. And I was like, yeah, okay. And then I won my bid back and then he made, that was the year that he made everybody like the next day race for like eight more skulls. There was like eight skulls left. So I fucking like, there's no way I'm leaving without a skull. So I stripped down to my running shoes. Cause I, I'm like, at this point, I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I stripped down to my running shoes, socks. I, I have my bib, no shirt. And I, I, I put my, sh my, uh, my shorts on and I just take a, uh, uh, I take a hydration pack in like one bar and uh he lines us up and he's like yeah you got to get you know we're going to do the blood route it's the blood route right blood route, blood route. yeah 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 we're gonna go do the blood route and i was like fuck it okay good so i i tony i fucking take off i i'm the first one like who's i everybody's kind of hiking i'm like fuck this i start running i start running as fast as i can and i got my fucking skull and uh Everybody was pissed because, like, no one wanted – no one could run, right? right. The, the right. next day, everybody was, like, hobbling. But I was like, fuck it. I'm like, I don't care. So 
And everybody was pissed at me because I broke into like a run, which meant everybody else had to run. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, and Andy loved it. Andy just Andy had this devious smile. He's like, I can't believe it, man. He's like, this is even better than I thought. <laughs> so of course, uh, I don't know if you knew that this, but he ends up like we're all like everybody's expecting to do the blood route, and we just keep moving and moving. And finally, he's like, no, hold up. He's like, hold up. We have enough people. And we're like, what? And he's like, yeah. He's like, he's like, we don't want this to go on for another day. He's like, come on. He's like, here's your skull. <laughs> yeah. So it was a real gamble, right? It was perfect. It was a perfect, uh, it was a perfect move, a perfect bet for uh, a perfectly themed death race. And uh, anyway. That's incredible. That's such a great, oh man, such a great way to finish uh, this journey that you're on. Yeah. Um, I remember hearing about that, like the whole idea from what he had told me was like, they were like, they had no intention for anyone to actually go. They just wanted to see who had it in them to yeah. still go when they're told, okay, you're gonna have to go do this, you know, crazy 18 mile yeah. hike again. And to see everyone go, he was like, all right, cool. They're in, like, they got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awesome, man. The Legend of the Death Race podcast is brought to you by Trail Toes, the best anti-blister, anti-chafing cream there is. Trail Toes prevented me from having any blisters after 66 hours at the 2014 Death Race and continues to prevent blisters on all my mountain adventures. Get your jar of Trail Toes today. Use the code THELEGEND on trailtoes.com for 10% off your purchase. And don't forget to visit the Legend of the Death Race shop where you can grab a Memento Mori t-shirt or poster as a reminder to live your best life. Just visit legendofthedeathrace.com slash shop. During all these races, did, did you did you hallucinate at all? Oh, all the time, man. Yeah, what did you see? Anything so, uh, anything remarkable that you saw? So, first of all, I have to tell you a quick funny story. Do you remember Peter? He was like, um, Peter couldn't talk or he was deaf. Mm. You, yeah, you yeah. Always wore, you always wore like the really colorful shirt, shorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I was doing the blood route with him at night. Okay. And um, we just were going at the same pace. And, uh, he, you know, he wasn't a big conversation. <laughs> so the two of us were just like, you know, acknowledging each other, but falling asleep, like yeah. as we're hiking, right? <laughs> so um, I keep, so at some points, I, I was hallucinating that we kept going over bridges. And it was kind of raining out. So at one time, one time I like, I reached out for Peter because I thought he was falling off of a bridge. Oh shit. And like, I'm literally like, cause I just woke up from like, cause people are like, you were sleep hiking. I'm like, yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, it is a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> I was like, they're like, no, it isn't. I'm like, dude, it's a, it's a thing. And, and you do the death race, it's a thing. <laughs> I, I literally reached out and like grabbed Peter in like a moment of like uh, a, a fear that he was going to fall off this bridge. And he thought I was like, he's, he thought I lost it. He was like looking at me kind of, and he couldn't really communicate, he, you know, but we just kept going. It was. Just <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's great. So anything that you guys, anything that you saw though? Anything? Um, uh, no. Just, Cause that, that's just, I just mean, like. Just, I mean, you know, you, you, I didn't you um, you had these like moments of like these mirages where you were like, oh, mm -hmm. I see a house or 
oh, I see the, you know, I see where we're supposed to be. Like, and I think that was, you know, the most frustrating thing is. So, so you've seen the houses too. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean though? Like there, there's, there's like, there's, there's houses out there that like, you know, I think they're flipping a switch and telling yeah. you. <laughs> something, somebody, you know, somebody, right. That's true. That's absolutely true. And like, I was getting messed with all the, all, all night, that, that second night uh, in 2013, I just remember being like, I just remember being like, wow. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to make this. And uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I love, I love being in that state of, of uh, hallucinating, you know, just hallucinating and, and, and reality. Cause you're just kind of like, it makes you work that much harder. Yeah. It's so great. Every, everything that you do is like 10 times harder because you have to think really, really like, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing what I think I'm doing? <laughs> um, okay. So how do you, how do you handle the controlled chaos of the death race? How do you get through that? Yeah, I think you have to learn. Like, I'm always super impressed um, with people who do the death race and finish it their first time, um, because I think handling the handling the chaos is a process um, that you learn. Um, it's uh, really some people pick it up really quick and are able to manage it. It took me. I had to build off of. Uh, I had to just build on it every year. I got smarter every year. I got uh, a little, the experience uh, gave me more, uh, not courage, but just gave me uh, more confidence. So um, I think it's just a mind, you know, it's a mind game, right? As much, so you have to kind of train your mind. And in my situation, it just took me a little bit longer than I think most people. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's such a crazy thing to, to understand what they're doing and yeah. what the game, what the game is and how to play it. Um, you know, like we've, we kind of talked about this before we started recording, like, you know, there's people that like, there's rules that there's rule followers. There's people who think there's rules. Then there's like the whole idea that there's really like, as long as you're staying within the parameters. And so like, you know, how do you nav how did you navigate that? And what, you know, what did you learn over your journey about playing to these rules that like kind of exist and don't exist? Because I remember, you know, really clearly from 2013, all of a sudden you had a bicycle and I was yeah. like, where'd you get a bicycle from? Yeah. Like, I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> yeah, that's true, man. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's the experience, right? So um, that's what I'm talking about, like learning how to play the game and learning this uh learning the nuances of the death race because joe and andy left things to be interpreted uh, many times and i think they might have done it uh i think they were calculated in it because there were many times when i would see people do what i thought uh, what i perceived as was cheating but they were playing they interpreted what joe and andy said and found a smarter solution. Mm -hmm. So if Joe says you have to get to the top of the mountain, um, and I, you know, I'm going to hike it, or I'm going to run it, or I'm going to take a bike up it, he's not being specific. So I'm going to do the. He's trying to screw me. So I'm going to do whatever I have to to stay in this. And uh, if I have to bend the rules, I'll bend the rules. Um, I did that once with a stone that I had, a rock that I had to carry. 
And I'll tell you really quickly how that story goes. Oh, do you remember in two? I think it might have been 2013. Remember? No, it might have been 2012. We had to um, carry like a, a huge stone off off uh, off the mountain back down to Amy Farm, and then. Um, I literally have this huge rock and I'm literally like fucking struggling. To I'm like 148 pounds soaking wet and I must be carrying like a 30 pound rock. And I'm like struggling, you know, a, a mile into it. I just throw that fucking rock down. I pick up a smaller rock. I, just, <laughs> I literally, I do. I pick it up. Yeah, I, yeah. It's like 10 pounds. And guess what? I get down there. Joe doesn't even notice. He yeah. this, at that point there were like 300 racers and like he was just like he's like all right go over here and I was like all right now is that cheating ah, I don't know I walk you know because that's when Joe had to like check he literally checked everybody in and see what stone they had he looked right. at me he thought the stone was big enough and I was like all right so I gambled or I took a chance and uh, yeah totally and like I think sometimes that's what it is it's a gamble it's you know they could punish you for that and it yeah. could end up really sucking or you get away with it and you're like, cool, I'm still in. This is great. Yeah. And the, uh, you know what the punishments are those, those, you know, we want a hundred burpees if you want to keep going. Yep. Yep. Or a thousand or whatever random number they decide to pull yeah. out of their hat. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, doing these races, there's a lot of, uh, equipment that's required and, uh, oftentimes sometimes having the right stuff can make or break your race. Like what was the most, I'd say like, what's the three most essential pieces of gear that you learned to have for these death races? Yeah, man, that's, that's a great question. Um, that's such a great question. Uh, I, first, I just want to tell you, I have probably five hand saws, five axes, like, do you know what I mean? Like you, cause you had to buy all, I have like a Greek, like book still that greek book that they 70 dollars greek book that i had to buy that i basically <laughs> um, so uh for me um i got i ended up using so i ended up getting felt like for the bottom of my shoes okay so which helped on the slippery rocks oh okay right so um I, again, I don't. A lot of people didn't have problems. That was like a, the bane of my existence, right? Like, right, right, kept right. Slipping off of rocks. So, that was one piece of gear. Um, you know, honestly, like, just I hate to sound. I literally like going from going from like uh, a super huge backpack to a really nice Osprey, like <laughs> lightweight, like not worrying about it getting destroyed was probably the difference between me finishing and not finishing like something that had like a reservoir for water like just in that i could just carry and that wasn't bulky and huge because of all the bob wire we had to crawl under you know what i mean like that stuff was really uh was necessary um or or necessary um This is going to sound crazy, but we got um, rubber hoses. Mm -hmm. we, cut, we cut rubber hoses um, and we used rubber hoses to like um, uh, to cup like the five gallon bucket handles. Oh, OK. Yeah. So, yeah. so they were thicker rubber. 
so they weren't cutting into you all the time. Yeah, you, yeah. Because you know yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because those so, handles suck, and like if you get a nice rubber grip on it, that makes it a little bit better on your hand and a little bit less, you know, just puncturing into your exactly. palm. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think you know the felt and the rubber hoses and yeah, the backpack are probably the best. Yeah, um, those are definitely some clever. Uh, the, the, those those two are specifically are very clever. Uh, you know hacks that can help you and then the backpack thing you know like i look back i loved the pack i had and i loved it at the time but i think now that i've gotten so much into mountaineering and all this other stuff i would probably do something different and like an osprey pack and like because there's packs that are just designed for like you know a lot of this stuff they're more compact they have the right compartments and that's the thing having good compartments and knowing where your stuff is so you can access it quickly uh it makes a huge difference like uh, you can make or break your race because if you're not able to access your stuff quickly or find it you're wasting time and if you're wasting time you might be getting penalized and you know just all spirals i think those are some good pieces of gear for sure um so so you, you finished uh, the, the 2013 one after years of going after it. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, what would you consider your defining moment? Um, of yeah. That, of, of all your death races or of that race? Um, so, you know what? Um, that's a really good question. This, this might, I don't know if this is, a, so uh, uh, we were talking, I don't know if we, we were talking earlier about that, abc news clip right about um the death race and um i was i was uh, filmed for it in this confessional like i there was one death race where there was like a confessional like that you had to go in and get filmed um and uh it, it was really funny because i had to go in there and tell them that I couldn't finish. And, uh, it wasn't a success. It was a, it was a failure. Like I had to go into this confessional and tell Joe and Andy that I didn't, I couldn't do it, that they broke me. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was really difficult. That actually was also broadcast on ABC like nightline. So not only did Joe and Andy see it, but then, uh, you know, whatever, whoever watched that television news clip saw it. Right. And that moment I knew that I could never not finish this race. Like that was the moment where I admitted that I was broke, that I, that, uh, gave me the, um, the motivation to go back and keep going back until I finished it. That's incredible. So like that, I mean, that's a really tough, that's a tough way to fail, right? Yeah. To have to like say it on camera and then have that broadcast to like, you know, yeah. whoever, whoever tunes into this segment, which, you know, it's, it's out there. It's uh, in today's world, a lot of these new segments end up online and they're there forever. So yeah. that's tough. And yeah. that talk about some fuel for your fire. Like, yeah, no doubt, man. But I mean, honestly, like I really, I hated, you know, Joe, Joe was so prickly about, you know, he's always such a, he's always, ah, I hated failing. Like, yeah. because he just, he just made you feel worse about it. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he definitely is good about making you feel worse about yeah. it. And, uh, it definitely makes you just, it, it lights a flame and you're just like, I need to go back and do this. So, 
Um, good on you for getting that finished, man. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Uh, especially after so much time put into it. So I guess my next question is, is, uh, you know, where did the courage initially come from for you to do this event? Um, that's a great question. Uh, so, um, it comes from when I was guiding. Mm -hmm. So when I was guiding, I was mostly guiding, uh, adjudicated youth. So kids who were in jail, um, and, um, those kids were, you know, already like they had a, they had sentence, they like were sentenced to drugs or sentenced to like, uh, manslaughter or whatever their, their, whatever their charge was. And I had them out in like the middle of nowhere where they hadn't ever left their like city block. Now I had them in the middle of like the Mahusik range and like, you know, in Maine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I always remember like kids being so courageous to like keep going, to keep moving through the process uh, of being outdoors and challenging themselves and not giving up. So all the strength that I have ever taken into any of my, uh, you know, uh, adventure races um, or personal challenges is the strength that I drew from them. Um, and, 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 uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's just like, they were my, you know, they yeah, were, no. my, they were they, my motivation. Absolutely. They were They're my, your motivation, your inspiration. Like, you know, you've got that, you can channel it. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Um, from all your, uh, death races, what wisdom did you gain? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I feel dumber for doing all of that. So, <laughs> Um, no, I, you know, it's, I think, uh, I think the idea that, that stuck with me or uh, that will stick with me is that I really feel like I could accomplish anything that has given me the platform where, you know, I know that's a generic answer, but like, I really feel super confident that I could pretty much complete any challenge that I put in front of myself. Do you have an example of like what you can, you know, post death race that you can say like, you know, I was able to accomplish this because I knew I had this experience yeah. behind my belt. <laughs> yeah. I just opened a, a new, I just, I bought an 1810 stagecoach house, uh, on the Delaware river, uh, that had to be gutted. Now the Delaware river is 70 miles away from me. So I would get up in the morning at five 30 in the morning. I would drive to this battered down, in that had to be completely gutted. I would put a full work day in of fabricate, I mean, construction day, like manual labor, build that every day. I would work there for 10 hours. I would drive back to Brooklyn. I would sleep for like, you know, six hours and then I would do it again. Uh, I did that for a year and a half. So, wow. yeah, so that's a, that's the most recent, like, and I did that at 50. So I feel like, yeah, I know that sounds like, yeah, I got some sleep, but not really. No, no, that's not much sleep. And that's a lot of driving, uh, you know, a lot of driving, driving, a lot of, a, a lot of, a lot of manually, a lot of, yeah, yeah it, it is. And it's, and I think to drive that far, to do that much work, it requires a ton of mental fortitude. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible. That's awesome. Um, okay. So who would you say you were before the death race? And who are you now? 
Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. That's a good question. I, I don't really have an answer for that. I'm, <laughs> that's a, it's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really that's a good one. I mean, I got to be honest, I think. I'm just an older version of myself because I was fortunate enough to start this at an older age. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of had the foundation of who I was. So not much has changed other than I'm a little bit more cockier and I probably have better stories than most people my age. It's fair. So, it's fair. Uh, yeah, that's not, I mean, you know, not too many people do this event. It's yeah. That point zero zero one percent or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So do you think you would ever uh, go back and do the race again now that it's back from the dead? Well, it's so funny. Uh, yeah. Uh, now that, you know, now that there's, um, you know, it, it's funny because it got too big and too crazy and it got, yeah. it, it just, it got a little dumb. And um, I don't mean that disrespectfully. I just mean like, it, it just, when, when a bunch of guys are just sitting around not racing or not doing anything because there's too many people to kind of police, then it's a little, a waste of my time. If, if it was kind of, you know, streamlined a little bit and and um i would i would do it in a heartbeat i would absolutely do it in a heartbeat and we're actually talking about it my my crew of death race friends have have brought it up uh, about doing a uh, a summer one not a winter one though yeah yeah that's how that's how i feel too <laughs> but that's you know that's it's interesting because that was something i experienced a lot at uh, when I was doing the Spartan endurance events and hosting the 12 hours and stuff and the hurricane heats and all that, it was, um, the bigger and bigger these groups get, they're harder to manage and you don't get yeah. the same experience. And the experiences definitely aren't as, as good when it's too many people. Yeah. Um, when you get 300 plus participants, it's just absolute chaos. And it's really like, if, if you don't have a dozen or so people directing, you know, you can't really do a good job managing it all. Yeah. But, when you're able to keep those numbers small, you know, 100, 150 people, I mean, you can hold a really good event. Yeah. And I think that's like something that uh, they've always struggled with is is finding that balance between having enough participants to make it a viable business. And like, you know, it's just it's a it's a it's a, it's a thing that's kind of hard to hard to juggle. But yeah, uh, I think if they can keep the number low, they're going to have better events. And that's that's what it's about is having a good event that people are going to enjoy. Um. All right. So at the end of the, every episode, you know, I love to ask this question uh, and I saw you got a bunch of books on your shelf there. So are there any books that you've read um, or that actually I'm going to rephrase that. If you were to gift a book to a death, a future death racer or a future endurance athlete, what book or books would you gift? Hmm. Uh, I love Into Thin Air. Ooh, that's a great one. Uh, that's a great one. I love Into Thin Air. Um, I think just because of uh, that's the real deal, Holyfield. Yeah. You know what? We could always <laughs> we could always quit and get in our car. <laughs> yes, we always could. We could always that, quit. When you're out there in those mountains like that, I mean, you're you're setting yourself up for it, it could be the end. Uh, yeah, that book is incredible. I actually just read it uh, probably about a year and a half ago or so, and it was just like, I remember just being blown away by the story. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's 
that's the one book that I just think encompasses the, you know, one of the biggest challenge moments of uh, survival. Um, I don't have a second. Do you mind if I don't come up with a second? No, that one book is perfectly fine. That's a great book. Um, so what's next for you? You know, getting through the pandemic, um, yeah. uh, trying to calibrate and uh, fix the, the 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 restaurant business. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, we'll get things back to normal soon. Uh, me and uh, my family are heading out to Colorado, going on a steamboat for nice. a month. And uh, yeah, we're just gonna got a house out there, and just gonna bike ride and hang out in the Yampa river and, uh, you know, just do some hiking and you know, try to try to get some sanity back. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful part of the country. Steamboat is amazing. I spent some time there and love it. So that'll yeah. be, that'll be real good. That'd be real good. Well, uh, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Um, can I give anyone... a shout out? Yeah, sure. I want to shout you out for fucking the best, backflip burpees I've ever seen. The only person I've ever seen do backflip burpees like repeatedly. And I was just like, I, I, it still sticks with me to this day. And uh, I wanted to shout you out for that, man, because that was cool. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks. Uh, so, you know, I, uh, I give that to my pops. My dad started teaching me how to do backflips when I was like three years old in the backyard. And uh, it's thanks to him and my grandpa, Tony, who I never actually got to meet, but another Tony, he was like a circus guy. And, you know, it was it was in the family, like just doing flips and everything. So (laughs) thanks for that shout out. Um, If you want anyone to, you know, look you up or anything, is there anywhere that they would go to find you or kind of flying on the radar? No, man, I'm just I'm good. But if anybody wants to do the 50 mile hike, they can just google the 50 mile hike and come okay. to it with capone andy did it with me uh a couple of years ago and uh, okay. he thought the new jersey terrain of rocks were like one of the hardest things he's ever done oh wow that's impressive yeah, yeah, yeah just go I'll kick definitely. a rock for 10 hours yeah i'll you know what i'll do I'll, even i'll uh, i'll go google it and then i'll uh throw the link into the show notes so that way people can find it that'd be great man thanks awesome well thank you so much for being on the show and thank you for sharing your legend and stay tuned for more legends from past death racers If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review. This really helps the podcast move up the rankings so we can reach even more humans. Also, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if you find you really enjoy what we're doing, consider becoming a sustaining member by clicking the link in the show notes. Just a quick reminder, my legend, The Legend of the Death Race book, is now available. Visit legendofthedeathrace.com slash book to order your copy today. Thank you again for tuning in. If you'd like to stay up to date on my current adventures and training, you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook. Just search the handle at That Endurance Guy or visit thatenduranceguy.com. We'll see you next time on the Legend of the Death Race podcast. Now go create your own legend.